Welcome back to Think Deeper. Once again, I'm Jack Wilkie, joined by Will Harib and Joe Wilkie. Uh, just a brief intro. Well, I want to remind you, last week we put out, uh, let us know what state you're from. We are already up to almost, I think it was at 22 states. We're almost halfway there. Um, we're going to really struggle with the Northeast, which, surprise, surprise. But uh, we need some help. New England deep thinkers, weigh in. Let us know you're out there. Uh, we're, we're trying to fill in this map. But we are recording way ahead. Just keep everybody... To, you know, by the time you hear this, that's it true. may be further. That's true. But we've gotten them all over the country, even Washington, Alaska, even out that direction. Nobody in New England yet. So help us out there. Um, so that's thing number one. Thing number two, we ask for time to time, wherever you consume this podcast, can you give us a review, a nice a bump, a like, whatever it is. If you're listening on YouTube, subscribe, like, comment, whatever. If you're on a podcast app, leave us a review on there. Um, we got some negative ones we want to balance out on itunes and i will say you know it's it's one of those things that like we hate asking for this stuff but man it's it's nice to get a right five, it's nice to get a five star you know after you get a, a couple one stars in a row and so you know we really hope you guys enjoy these shows and so if you do again 20 seconds leave us a five star leave us a review would be even better um and then we'll stop the promotional stuff after that i guess that's right. Got to get that rating back up. Gives us some legitimacy. Somebody said that we're we're kind of like an echo chamber. We're not an echo chamber, are we, guys? Right. No, not right. Not, a chance, not no. at all. <laughs> not at all. Okay. Um, sorry. Had to do that. All right. Let's get into this week's episode. Uh, I said I'm, I'm breaking out the thesaurus. It's not an interesting or an exciting episode. It is a, I think, necessary episode. Okay, there we go. It's a necessary episode. A follow-up to last week. We talked about deconstruction stories of those who have walked away from the faith. Joe, get into why we're doing this. This is keeping young people faithful. We're not doing it from a parenting angle. We are parents of young people. We fully acknowledge that, that we've got a long journey to go. We're speaking from a different point of view, so go ahead and introduce that. Right, right. So... I appreciate you saying that. No, we all have, Jack, I think years is the oldest glorious four. Um, we're not coming from on high, but we have, I'm, I'm Jack and I are two of four, um, all of which are faithful uh, at this point, and, and by the grace of God, and, and God is very good. Will, you are the oldest of four, um, all of whom are faithful as well, and a couple preachers in there, Jack and, and I are preachers, uh, along with our brother-in-law, and so we look at what our parents did and we we look around and say okay there are eight of us all of which are faithful what happened what went well uh, what what went right that helped us stay in the church and you know there's a lot of people that kind of look at it and say well it's just luck right it's just luck it, it, luck of the draw um glad it worked out for you it just doesn't work out for everybody and i can understand Sometimes there are difficult situations. There are broken families. There are, you know, split families, things like that. There are difficult situations. But we firmly feel that this falls way less in the category of luck and more in the category of intentionality, which is why I use the word necessary. I think it's necessary for us to take a step back and to explore what went right for our families. Of course, over all of this is the grace of God. We are not trying to, to... toot our own horns. We're not trying to, you know, let this be a, hey, look at how great we are. We're saying what helped us stay faithful? We developed our own faiths, uh, our own walks with Christ. What helped us stay faithful? Yes, the grace of God uh, is is pervasive, right? It's overall. At the same time, I think there are a few key things that we certainly want to look into for this episode. Yeah, so um, 
And I'm going to go ahead, and we didn't talk about this before, so I'm going to audible here. I'm going to go ahead and say, I'm going to go ahead and give our group think question to start the episode here. Um, because as I was thinking, Joe, about what you were saying, that is kind of the way that we're approaching this episode is what kept us faithful. You know, if you think of it as, as, as an equation, what were the biggest factors? And so that's the question that I'm going to p- propose to our deep thinkers. That's the one I hope we, we're going to put on social media. In your opinion, what is the biggest factor in you being faithful today? You know, if, if you're a faithful Christian, you're listening. Uh, that's something that, again, we don't have all the answers. And so we want to hear from you. What do you think is the biggest reason you're faithful? And, and the, the thing I'll say is be as specific as possible. That's what we're going to try to do with this episode. I'm about to get us into the first point here. Um, generic. We're going to start with some more maybe generic theoretical things, but be specific in your answer. So anyway, that's the group think question. What is the biggest factor in you remaining faithful? But as we get going here, um, we're gonna, we have 10 reasons we want to get to, or 10, 10 factors, I guess we might want to call them. Jack, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, as we get into this, it is not a, as to repeat a little bit of what Joe said, it's not a a checklist of do these things and it's going to work. On the other hand, it's not just luck. There is a a faithful intentionality to it all. Uh, Proverbs 22, 6, so many times the debate as well, is it a promise that, you know, if you uh, raise him up in the way he should go and he will not depart from it? Don't worry about that debate. The point of it is there is a, a path on which you should be leading young people and, and the path we felt we were led along. Um, in this, we think there's three types three types of Christian families. There's those that the church is very much on the fringes of their life. It doesn't really impact their parenting, what they do with their kids or all of that. There's the other side of it where it's very important to the family and drives everything that you do, that intentionality. And then there's in the middle where it's kind of, well, we're going to try and get our kids to accept our faith, but, you know, we're also going to let the world have a crack at it, too. We're all we're just going to kind of the takes a village kind of approach. Um, and, and we're very much advocating for that intentional, strong, really trying to find the path toward leading your kids towards faithfulness. So with that, uh, we've done this format before. We've got 10 points we're going to get to. We're timing them at six minutes each. Uh, just anytime we have a list like this, we like to time it to make sure we get in and out of our points and uh, that we're not here for three hours, right? So, Will, uh, you were going to go ahead uh, as, before I jumped in. and No, you're you. good. You're good. Uh, just so excited to get to these uh, these points here. Um, uh, point number one, uh, and again, we're going to start more in the theoretical realm and get more to some practical stuff later on. Um, but when I was sitting down thinking about, for me, hey, what is it? You know, what's the chief reason or what's one of the biggest reasons why I consider myself faithful today? And the first thing that I came up with is that my my parents made literally everything else of secondary importance. By that, I mean anything else you could think of about shaping me to be a human being, you know, keeping me well-rounded, uh, education, sports. That was all completely secondary or it was of secondary importance. The most important thing to them was making sure that I was a faithful Christian. Uh, growing up, I, and still to this day, love sports. Anybody who knows me knows, love to play sports, love to talk sports, love to watch sports. I, I, I really, really enjoy sports. And I remember multiple times going to my parents saying, hey, look, I'd really love to play football. It was a, it was a dream of mine. It's something that I want to do. I was homeschooled, and so it would have been a little bit more difficult. But, I mean, a la Tim Tebow, there are ways for homeschool kids to play football with the public schools. And multiple conversations. That was something my parents told me, look, you know, we'll do our best, but the whole, you're going to devote four to six hours a day, uh, you know, every single day to football. We just don't think that that's something that you should do. And because they knew that if that's where I spent all my time, what was going to happen? 
my relationship with God was going to suffer. My time with them was going to suffer and all these things. And so no matter how badly I wanted to play sports and play football, and I did play basketball and, and some other soccer and some other things, but that was of secondary importance to them. And I think you see that with a lot of parents is they want to make sure their kids are so well-rounded. They want to make sure that they're involved in every act, extracurricular activity that they can, play an instrument, play multiple sports, be in, involved in theater and all these things. And, and none of those things are bad in and of themselves, but I think sometimes making sure that our kids are faithful can kind of get bumped down the priority line a bit in favor of some of these other things. And so I'll turn it over to you guys. That was the first thing I came up with. It, like literally everything else was of secondary importance. It, you know, the the whole working a second, my mom working a job or, you know, big anything, literally anything was of secondary importance to making sure that me and my siblings stayed faithful. Yeah, same with us. I think the uh, growing up playing hockey uh, was a big deal for us. But you know what? we would miss regularly on Sundays and, um, you know, miss not church, but we would miss games and, and important games. That's when the championships were. That's when my team, uh, you know, really wanted me there so we could, uh, so I could support the guys or whatever it may be, you know, and, and we're talking playoff games, championship games and out of state as well. We would travel to California for these tournaments and I know mom and dad are paying thousands to go there. Hey, you know what? God comes first. There is nothing that is going to to beat our time with God, we will absolutely, hey, we will try to make it work as much as possible if we can, um, you know, if we fly out of there or whatever and and maybe uh, don't stick around to shake everybody's hand at the end and, and make it work, sure. It cannot be secondary. And I think you're right. Well, whether that be sports or whatever your kids may be into, they know what you prioritize. If you prioritize their education, if you prioritize their athleticism, if you prioritize their musicianship or whatever it may be, and that's what takes precedence. And it's not just about showing up to church. It's about where your priorities are. It's about where your mindset lies of this is really important. We talk about it all the time. We talk about your athleticism. I'm talking to the coaches and grilling them about ways to make you better. Those are the things that if, if you're not connected to church very much at all or you're not really talking to their Bible class teachers or really helping them, but all you care about is their academics, how far they're going, you're talking to their teachers or you're, you're talking to their coaches, that shows to the kids, whether you ever say that to the kids or not, they're seeing those things. Yeah, as you try to pass these things on, like kids pick up on what's important to their parents, whether it's it's career, making money, academics, whatever it may be, uh, those things really come through. And, and so it's not just these choices of being at, at the church building or whatever else, but it saturates everything in the family life of I mean, how many TV shows did uh, mom walk through the room and say, you know what, I don't think this is something God wants us to be watching. And, and you know, stuff that, not that we were watching just rated R kind of stuff, but just, you know what, I don't like this. And we're going to make the decisions for how everything in this family is run based off of biblical principles on what we think God would have us do on uh, just letting him drive everything. And so it, it's that... It doesn't matter how much you enjoy something. It doesn't matter how much you like something. It doesn't matter what you want to do. The first thing that matters is what would God have us do here? And, man, when that decision-making hierarchy gets brought into everything that happens in the house, you start thinking that way. You start learning to think that way. You start developing that same mindset of, okay, I have to ask what God would think about this. I have to let him have a say on this. I have to check and see what he might have me do if he, if he has a say on this. There's a reason this is number one on our list. The rest don't matter if this is if this is not in, put in priority. If your kids see that something other than God is of first importance, 
forget about the rest of the list. Forget about the rest of this podcast. This has to come first, and you have to be very intentional. Like, there is no kind of, right? You have to show your kids. Will? Yeah, last thing I'll say, and then Joe, pass it back to you for number two. You know, there is something about when everybody is is united for a goal, man, it's a lot it's a lot easier to strive for, right? If you've got a company or an organization and everybody's just kind of doing their own thing, nobody really has an aligned goal, that company's not going to do very well. Same thing with your family. If, if you're, And that was one of the things that I felt growing up is that my family, my parents made communicated to us, look, this is a mission, a goal for all of us, to for all of us to get to heaven. And so that's something, you know, you got to be united with your kids and making sure they know, look, this is the number one goal and we're going to work together to do that. You know, sure, do we want you to have a great career, good at sports, all that, sure, but above all else, we want you to remain faithful. And so, again, just communicate that to your kids as far as making sure they know this is a, a shared goal that we're going to have. Man, that was good. Six minutes and four seconds. We'll go to number two. And number two is our parents cared or had a focus on the heart, not just the actions. You see this with a lot of parents that it's it's really, hey, if I can just get you to show up to church, if I can just get you to obey me, uh, by whatever means necessary. I might scare you into it. I might guilt you into it. I might plead you into it. Whatever it is, I just want the behavior to be there, but the heart has, is never really there. And then they're shocked that when their kid turns 18, moves, goes to college, whatever it is, that they lose them. They go, man, well, they always did the right things. Yeah, but you never really had the heart, did you? And that's something that our parents pushed quite a bit. I think both of our parents, um, Will, yours, and, and mine and Jack's as well, of making sure that the heart was right and that we had a heart for God. We had a heart for the right things more than just, hey, you need to do this because I said so. Uh, that I think that's part of provoking a child to wrath is just saying because I said so over and over and over and never allowing them to develop the heart behind why they do what they do. Maybe at an early age, sure. You know, a kid runs is running toward the road. Yeah, hey, do it because I said so. We can explain later. You're four. You don't get to know that. But later, as the kid develops and grows uh, into maybe being a teenager, whatever it is, the heart matters more than anything, not just the outward sign of the behavior of, hey, they went to church, or hey, they're obeying me. But do you capture their heart? This is something that especially those drawn more towards legalism can be really big on, is just action, disciplinary. And, and sometimes, you know, that old saying about, like, when you have when all you have is a hammer, the whole world looks like a nail— Sometimes, you know, discipline is, whether it's spankings as little kids or whatever form of discipline groundings that, that a parent uses, I'm just going to use that. And okay, you know, it's it's all stick, no carrot, and you do the wrong thing, you do the wrong thing and you step out of line, all right, you're going to get punished, you're going to get punished, you're going to punish. What happens when they leave the house? And there's nobody standing over them with that punishment. What happens when they look around and they realize... I don't have to do this anymore. Well, a lot of times that's where you see those kids that grow up in really strict households rebel really hard because the action was driven by not the heart, but just by the threat of discipline, the the structure that was in place. And when you take the structure away, it falls apart. The point of the structure is to, it's almost like training wheels. It's getting the kid to the point to where their heart is leading them into the right decisions. Now, they're still going to need guidance. Everyone needs guidance. I mean, your whole life you're going to need guidance. But this this idea of developing a heart in somebody that they love God, they want to do the right thing. They want to be nice to their siblings. They want to obey. They want to, you know, be right with God. They want to make the right choices and be the kind of person other people enjoy being around and that, that is an uplift and encouragement to other people. And and that kind of heart is something you 
developed through biblical training and not just here's the line if you step over it you're going to get in big trouble and and that's the end of it right one of the one of the biggest things i looked for in a spouse was do you have a moldable heart not do you you know do these things and, and check off every single one of these boxes the big one of the biggest boxes to check was do you have a moldable heart and the reason for that is because if you go into you know i'm going to this application to marriage is going to make sense here in just a second. But if you go into a relationship going, well, do they check these boxes? Do they do these things? Look, people can fake their way through anything. Do you have a moldable heart? And I think that gets back to what Joe said a second ago is like, look, just because they did the right things for, you know, again, let's, let's face it. Kids don't really make decisions for themselves until their early teenage years. So let's say five, six, five, six years. You can fake your way through five, six years of going to church, going to youth group events, you know, doing all these things without really having a heart for it. And so that's one of the things that as, as, as a parent, one of the things I hope to do with Jackson uh, is to try to diagnose, okay, what is his heart like? And it's difficult because it's not tangible, right? You can't, you know, get on, take a scale and be like, okay, his heart for God is at this level. But I think deep down, we can all see when somebody's kind of faking it, going through the motions, it's routine, it's habit for them. And so that's one of the things to look for. Not necessarily just, are they doing these things, but but diagnose their heart. What What is it like? And, and again, it's, it's difficult to measure, but I think that has to be done uh, for the sake of so that when they do leave your house and you're no longer just checking up after their actions, do they have a heart that seeks after Christ? This goes hand in hand, and this isn't one on the list of the, of the 10, but something I think we very much could put on there, which is our parents taught us to, to think critically and to understand the why. And that's very much part of the heart is in understanding why we do what we do. So as you're uh, talking about that, Will, we can fake a lot of things, but you know what? When church matters to them or when not lying matters to them, when obeying their parents for whatever it may be, not going to that party, not drinking, you know, not looking at porn, not doing drugs, what all, the, the typical quote-unquote teenage things that people get into, all the way down the list, when they know why they're not supposed to do those things and what they're supposed to pursue instead, we're golden. Things are great. But if you don't teach your kid to think critically and to understand the why to any of those things, then they're just, it's it's all it's all talk until they have an opportunity to decide one way or the other. And when do they get that opportunity? When they're surrounded by a bunch of other college age, no offense, but numbskulls and college professors who aren't looking out for them the way a parent is. We'll get to that point later. But uh, fellas, anything else on that point? Jack, go ahead and get us into the next one. Yeah, this is one you hear a lot, but it's one that really needs reiterated. And in this, this is day this and is age. number three for those who are keeping track. Yes. Sorry. Number three. So number you're prioritizing Christianity first, number one. Two, focused on the heart and not just the action. Number three, uh, is not having the buddy buddy mentality. And that's something that like I think there's lip service given to it, but the more time goes by, the more like that needs to be reiterated. That kids you know as the parent you are put there as the authority in their life as god's representative to them that you are teaching them through your parenting what kind of father god is you're teaching him or them his discipline and his love and his kindness and his severity when it's necessary and if you try and be their friend all the time if if you try and be the cool parent if you try and be the one that all their friends think oh man you got the best mom and dad because they're they're always cool they let you get away with murder or whatever else you're not doing the job right. And Joe brought up last week on the, I think it was last week, on the gentle parenting thing that's really big right now of 
essentially almost throwing discipline out the window and looking any missteps by a kid, looking at those things as not them doing wrong and it needs to be corrected and punished, but, oh, well, we'll just guide you right back to... That's not what you're there for. I mean, there is that authority structure that... In every authority structure, governmentally, elderships, uh, parenting, it's there's a disciplinary aspect of don't do the wrong thing or there's going to be a problem. And, I mean, the Proverbs have this about uh, he who spares the rod uh, hates his son, hates his son. Spare the rod, spoil the child is what people usually say, but it says he, he hates his son. And Hebrews brings that back around. It says God disciplines us because every father who loves his children disciplines them. You have to take part in that. You have to make that a part of your family life. What's the reason why people say, hey, you probably shouldn't go into business with your friends? probably shouldn't work with your friends. It's because if your friends, when the time comes to get, you know, serious and to maybe if you're the boss to the employee, you know, have some, some serious conversations, be maybe even show some, some discipline and get really upset about, Hey, work performance or whatever. It's tough to do that. Why? Because you're friends with them, right? You're like buddy, buddy. And, and it's tough to do that. And so, you know, some people can pull it off. Sure. But that, there's a reason why people say that it's the exact same thing with parenting. If you're doing everything that you can to try to you know, elbow, hey, buddy, you know, how's it going about the latest movies, music, whatever, and, and always just constantly try to be their friend and get their approval in that way, well, what are you going to do when it's time to discipline them, when it's time to, to bring them back into their lane, when it's time to rein them in? It's going to be a whole lot more difficult if you spend all this time trying to be their friend. And, and the, the crazy thing about it is the friendship will come later. This is not something that's new. It, it, you know, I would consider my mom and dad very good friends right now, but I'm also married with a kid and moved out of their house. You know, they waited until I had done those things to become friends with them or to become friends with me. And I think for a lot of parents, they start that friendship process way too early. They try to be their best friend. They try to be their buddy in their early teenage years. And again, that's typically when the discipline goes out the window and it's for that reason. I think that's a great point, Will. And I often make that point of there are three stages of parenting. There's the disciplinarian stage, which is like your kids really need you to discipline. Jack, that's what you're speaking about. They really need you there. And then there's the mentor phase where, okay, maybe you're not disciplining. You're certainly not spanking at that age. You don't, you know, but they really need somebody to ask the big questions of life. They need somebody to walk them through something and to disciple them, to mentor them into being the adult they need to be. And then the friendship comes later where now, okay, we can kind of see each other's equals. I got kids. Well, like you said, I'm, I'm established on my own married kids. And not that they can't be a mentor still at that time and you can ask for advice, but it, it transitions to more of a friend. If what we see with a lot, especially with things like gentle parenting, is you become your kid's friend at a very young age. You have a tough time, as you already spoke to, but it's also, to me, it speaks to adults who are afraid of being adults. They are afraid of having their own emotions and what happens a lot of times actually is they project their own emotions onto the kid and the kid becomes the parent. There will always be hierarchy in every family and in every relationship. Always. Whether we want to admit that or not, there will always be. So the question is, what hierarchy are we creating? The one God gave us, which is parents over the children, or are we putting so much into the kids that the kids themselves become the leaders of the family, so to speak? They become the most important part. The kids can't be the number one goal for the family. They are a part of they are part of this family that has a goal to serve God well, together. You're getting into our next two, so we'll hang on to those for just a true, second. True. Um 
the thing is, they have friends. They don't need another friend. They need a parent. They need a guide. They need somebody to discipline them, to set them on the right path. And when you don't do that, then they don't have it. Uh, the other side about it is, this is one of those that, like, culturally, times shift. I know, you know, I've, I've heard people talk about their parents, you know, those of the, the Gen X and Boomer generation, especially, like, the dads, were notoriously distant from the kids, Right. Like, you know, there's people that say my dad never gave me a hug or just didn't really have that tight of a relationship or dad didn't really come into their life much until they were older or teenage or whatever else. And that's not good. Uh, like and I think it's a healthy thing that there has been a critique of that and getting away from that. But as always, we always swing too far back uh, and, and that desire to be their friend makes it to where, again, you can't bring that discipline, you can't bring that authority, and, and so you have to have both, and if they don't have that, and I, again, this we're talking about what we received growing up, I'm so glad that I did have parents that held a line and said, this isn't okay, and there were times where it's, I don't care that you don't like me, this is what you need to hear, and that's what everybody needs in their life, and so you were, you were pushing us to those next two, Joe, um, I said they're the next two, they're not, there's one first, Will number four. Yeah, so... And, and this one is going to seem obvious, but we're starting to get into more of the, the practical realm here. And that is you've got to make Bible an everyday routine. You've got to make Bible study, Bible discussion, an everyday routine. This is number four. Um, and this is kind of a disclaimer that we're going to have to give with this one. Uh, we've already had an abandoned public schools episode, so I don't think any of our audience is going to be... Uh, utterly shocked when they hear, you know, that we are we are very pro homeschooling. But it's because, look, if if you don't homeschool your kids, the time it takes, which just gets into the next one, this this Bible discussion, Bible study with your kids, it's so much harder because you just don't have the time. And so, that, for number four on our list here, you've got to make uh, daily Bible time a part of your routine. Our days, our schoolwork started with Bible study. Joe and Jack, I think y'all were the same. We had Bible discussions at night. Um, I think for so many Christian families, it's one of those things, maybe they talk about the sermon uh, in the car home or in the car ride home. Maybe they, maybe they crack a Bible open at their house once a week, but it's not something that's a big part of their life. And you know what is a big part of their life? Talking about sports, talking about all the things that go back to point number one. And so you've got to make Bible study with your kids. Again, Bible discussions with your kids. You've got to make that something that is natural, that is normal, that is that, that takes place in your home every single day, multiple times a week. Otherwise, if they don't have the habit in your home, what makes you think they're going to have the habit when they leave your home? I may have brought this up before because we did an episode on family worship um, it, when Will released his family worship guide. If you want to start this habit, go check that out. It's a great resource for it. But we did the survey, the largest of its kind that we know of in the Churches of Christ, of those who walked away. And the overwhelming majority of people who walked away from the faith went to Sunday school and even Wednesday night class regularly. A number of them were youth group participants. They were involved in the church activities. And you'd think, well... Why didn't they just keep on coming? But one thing that was prevalent across all of them is that the Bible was open in their home almost never. Like once a month or less than once every couple of weeks that their family would gather around the Bible and talk about God and his word and have a devotional or whatever the case it was. That just tells your kids it's not important. I mean, like that's the lessons we pick up is what you see is important. And, you know, I've used the analogy before. Are you going to give your kids a billion dollar inheritance. Well, I'd like to, but I'm not going to. Why not? Because I don't have it. 
Well, can I give them a love of God? Do I have a love of God? Can I give them a walk with God? Do I have one? And so showing in your home that it really matters that the Bible is open. It really matters that we're talking about and thinking about how to serve God. It really matters that we pray together. It really matters that we sing songs of praise together. That prioritization goes, I mean, it just does everything. Because then if that doesn't happen, it teaches your kids to compartmentalize and the church and God only matter inside the church building. And how many people do we have walking around who are living under that principle? We see Deuteronomy 6 when he's talking about passing it down to the generations and he's they're getting ready to go into the promised land. What does he say? Like Train them when, when they rise up, when they walk by the way, right? When, when they lie down. Like Basically what he's saying is at every part of the day you ought to be training them in the Lord. They ought to be coming. That's the Shema passage where this deep love for God is arising at every part of the day. Will, this speaks to your homeschooling point. We would get up and our routine every morning that I was homeschooled, and I was homeschooled from all the way up. I, I never went to public school for one grade. I think I was the only one in my family that didn't. Every single day, you will be at the table. 8 a.m., you will have your clothes on. You will have um, your beds made, your Bible's open, your breakfast there, and we're going to do Bible. Your, your every, school clothes on, you school, mean. <laughs> your school clothes on. Yeah, sorry, not, not to pee. Yes. <laughs> No PJs. We were not allowed to do school in PJs. My school clothes. Yeah, no, we were not. To, never mind. So um, this was a, a prerequisite every single morning that we had to do, and Bible was going to be the first thing. And we did some really cool stuff. We got into some the basics of exegesis, and we got into conflict management from a biblical perspective, and we got into um, how to be like Christ and character studies. If mom had worked, if there had been, you know, the two outside the home— that would have never happened. If we were rushing around at 6 a.m., 7 a.m. To, to get our PB&Js and get out the door, that would not have been possible. And this is the sacrifice that they made. My dad worked very, very hard to make sure that we had that ability to wake up every single morning and prioritize Bible. Yeah, the other thing that I would add before we move on to uh, number five is obviously with my dad's job, this was made a whole lot easier, but man, me and my siblings knew Christian apologetics like the back of our hand. You know, that was one of my dad's specialties. He would go out and teach on it. But that's something that I would encourage Christian parents. Man, find the videos, find the books, whatever it is. Make sure your your kids know that there is evidence for the existence of God, that there is evidence for the inspiration of the Bible, that Jesus walked the earth, that he was resurrected. You know, I think a lot of a lot of uh, Christian young people kind of generically know that we that there is evidence for that, but they don't know exactly what it is. Man, make sure they take a class again. Make sure they watch videos. Make sure that they know that we have reasons to believe why we I mean why we believe what we believe. It really gave us a rock solid foundation. And yes, we had Brad Harib going and teaching on it 40 weekends a year that we heard 20 of those. So it helped for the repetition purposes. But that'd be one thing, other thing that I would say before we move on is, man, make sure that they know we have a rock solid foundation for our faith based in the Christian apologetics and Christian evidences. All right, let's get into number five. And that is that our parents prioritize time around us. This is something that I cannot thank them enough for and that I really get frustrated. This is why I need to get off social media. I get frustrated when I see all these parents that just cannot wait for their kids to go back to school or they cannot wait to get away from their kids. My parents, and, and I'm not even saying every parent has to do this, but I don't think they got a date night until I was probably, you know, or left us for more. I think they left, left us at our grandma's house when I was maybe five and I was the youngest. I mean, they were just, we were always present. They took us everywhere because like, man, we like hanging around you guys. We like being around. And I heard that a lot growing up and that meant the world to us that they wanted to be around us. 
I'm not going to find my mom's social media posts when I when I get older of can't stand my kids or you know don't want to be around my kids. And you think, well, what does this have to do with keeping them faithful? It has to do with the fact that we felt like we belonged and we felt like we were important to them. And what was important to them, like the faith, was important to us. And when they went to conferences, we'd go there. And when, you know, when when we went to church, it's like, of course, that's what we do as a family. We were a family unit, but they took us along in so many so many places. But it wasn't just the active going; it was the day to day taking us along and talking through certain things, talking us through certain situations and asking us how we might, you know, view a certain situation, whatever it may be, things like that where they really got to know us and who we were and how we ticked. And even if we were a little bit, um, even if we were a little adjacent to what they believed, we had our opportunities to do that because we were with them and around them. And I know this was the same case with, with Will for sure and his dad, um, taking them on multiple trips as he would go speak and they got to see his life and they got to see his faith in action. And we got the same. And that was really appreciated that they prioritized, specifically prioritized uh, time around us as kids and didn't look to just push us off every time. We spoke last week about how the heart leads the head in these things. And when we talk about people leaving the faith, that a lot of times their heart goes first and, and the head finds a way to follow it goes the same direction in the good direction. And and you really want to capture a kid's heart. And, and people go where they feel wanted. They go where they feel loved, where they feel safe. And having family around you that, that loves you, that is, is backing up and is complimenting and is side by side with the gospel message you're trying to teach a kid was, was a huge deal to us. Uh, to know that this is not authoritarians telling me do this or God's going to strike you down. Uh, that's something you talk about a lot, Joe, is the people's relationship with their parents, especially their father, reflects their relationship with God, how they Absolutely. view him. And so if you feel wanted by your parents, if you feel prioritized, if you feel like, you know, that they're that you're a major part of their life and they're not always trying to pass you off on somebody else, they're not always rolling their eyes at how put upon they are to have to deal with you and get you to your chores or your hobbies or your activities, that means something. And that... that you know that old cliche about they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care that happens on every level including parent-child relationships and and so that's something to really make sure your kids know is you're not a burden to me and I want to talk to you I want to be here for the hard questions that you have for the temptations and, and falls the stumbles that you have that I'm I'm here for you because I just like you as a person I love you you have value to me because of who you are in the same way we have value to God in that way. This is such a balanced equation that, Jack, for number six, you're going to get us into the flip side of this equation here in just a second. But for this side of it, the man, it can be so easy to have your own individual pursuits. I mean, you have your things that you want to get done with your careers. I'm, I'm thinking more from specifically from a guy's perspective. Of, I want to do this with my career. I want to do this with my job. I want to pursue these things. You know, hobbies are, are great and enjoyable to have. Man, it can be so easy to pursue those things to the neglect of your kids, and that is one of the things that um, I am grateful that my my parents did not do. Uh, my dad uh, took me on, took us as a family on a lot of his his big trips, and uh, we got to just be together, and that was just so special. And that's one of the things that I truly do hope to emulate 
uh, with my kids is, look, yes, I have, I've got work that I have to do. I've got things that I have to get done, but I'm going to do everything I can to bring you along the journey with me so that we can be together, so that we can experience these things together. And uh, again, that would be a huge encouragement that I have to anybody listening. If this is not something you currently do, yes, you've got stuff you've got to get done. You've got these things. Bring your kids along with you. Let them know that, that they are they are that important to you that you want to share in this life with you because again, not to, I've got a one-year-old. I can't believe he's one. Like the amount of time we have with our kids I'm already seeing is so small. It just, it, it, it's, it goes away like a vapor. And so the time that you do have with them, man, make sure that they know that they're wanted, like Jack said, and make sure you bring them along and, and truly relish those times together. Well, and to give the, like the practical of what we're talking about, of sometimes it's career and, and it's it's money or ambition or you know furthering your education or whatever. Of I'm just going to put pour myself totally into that, but I still have these kids, so I'll just throw them in daycare all the time, or just uh, I'm never around them, don't have time for them. It's uh, one thing that really is sticking around in this extended adolescence thing is. Maybe none of your your friends have kids, but you do, and so you're trying to get rid of yours because you don't want to give up your travel lifestyle. You don't want to get your going out and having a good time and movies and dinners lifestyle and all that. It's like, if you have the kids, they're the priority number one. That doesn't mean you don't ever get to have fun again, don't ever get to go hang out with your friends again or whatever, but man, you just see this thing happen over and over of people just trying all the time to find somebody to shuffle their kids off to so that they can go do their things that, that further their lives. How does that feel as a kid? If you don't feel wanted in your own family, you're not going to feel wanted in your church family. You're not going to know how to be a part of the church family if you don't feel like you're a part of your own family. So I think that's a, as Jack, as you referenced earlier, the parental down from God, you know, the Father and and God, that's how we understand things. Well, same thing with the church family. If we struggle to be in groups, then yeah. So make sure your kids feel loved, feel connected, feel supported in that. Jack, go ahead and get us into number six. It's another pendulum thing, right? That you want to prioritize your kids, make them feel loved and wanted, but it's very easy also to make them the center of your life. And you see this uh, very sad thing that happens sometimes of couples in their 50s getting divorced when they become empty nesters because their whole life was about the kids. Like their whole life was about creating a home for the kids, raising the kids. Well, now that the job's done, we don't know each other. We don't really like each other. Like this was, it was about the kids. And now you take away that one thing that held us together and, and you can kind of see sometimes all the money goes to the kids, all of the, the family's time and efforts goes to the kids' hobbies and all that, and there's never time for the dinner table because, as was brought up earlier, you're going to sports practice or band practice or, you know, whatever, academic competition, whatever they're in involved in. You need to make sure that, and this was, again, something that was done for us that I think was very helpful, was we were made to realize the world doesn't revolve around you there's times where you're just going to take the back seat. You're the kid This, you know, like that you have to get, man, mom and dad built most of the house that we live in. They expanded greatly on the one they own. I don't know how much time we spent sitting in a Lowe's or Home Depot, just watching them pick up stuff for the house. And it was, you know, there was, you'd start to complain and they're like, you know what? We're building a house for our family. This isn't fun for you. This is what we got to do today. Okay. This is what we're going to do. Um, you know, gardening and, and pulling weeds and unpleasant chores and hobby or not hobbies, chores and tasks and, and things that we had to do as a reminder of the world doesn't revolve around you. But then beyond that, outside of our own home, 
serving people in the church. We were expected. That was something mom and dad had us do is you're going to go over and visit those older people. You're going to go along with us to this funeral. You're going to go along with us to, you know, help these people out, help these people move, whatever, just things where we could help. You know, you don't take a two-year-old to that kind of thing, but there comes a time where a kid is old enough and you help them realize you're part of this too. You're growing into this. It's not all about you. Sometimes you do things that you don't want to do, because it's good for somebody else or because you're part of something bigger than yourself. This is one of those things that was why I said it's such a balanced equation because there's really there's really nobody that's more annoying to be around as far as somebody that's my age that is narcissistic. That you can just tell their entire life they've been told and they've kind of been reared and conditioned to think that the world revolves around them. What they want to do, um, their stories, their, their life... That's just nobody enjoys being around that, and it's not a Christian trait either. To 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 exude that type of attitude is, is really anti-biblical. And so again, Jack, you said it all very well. Um, I think back to I was having a discussion with a, with my wife and a few of our close friends about you know when our kids do start playing sports, and you know one of them made the comment that they want to make sure that they know that our kids know, man, we're going to be at every single one of their games that they feel supported. And, and they're going to be, we're going to be at every single one of their, their sporting events or band or whatever. Me and Rachel doubt we're going to have very many artsy kids, but you know, who knows? But anyway, wanted to make sure that they feel very supported. And I made the point and I could be very wrong on this, Joe. I'll let you kind of maybe correct me if I'm wrong about this. I agree that, that I want my kids to feel supported in their sporting events and their extracurricular activities and things like that. At the same time, I don't think it's the end of the world for a kid to not have his, his mom or dad show up to every single event that they have. You know what I mean? My dad traveled a lot on the weekends. He wasn't at a lot of my soccer games. He wasn't at a lot of my basketball games and it didn't cripple me mentally. You know, it didn't turn me into, Oh my goodness. You know, my dad doesn't love me or doesn't want to be there. I knew he had a job to do. I knew that he had somewhere to be, that the things that were more important than my soccer game. I think that's really what it came down to, or what it comes down to for me is that I want my kids to know I love you, I support you, I'm going to be there for you, but sometimes there are more important things than your football game or your band recital. That's a balance there that has to be struck, but that's kind of where my mind goes to. Okay, we're going to get into number seven, and that is be selective or or as our parents were selective with our friend choices with your kids friend choices be selective with your kids friend choices my mom was very selective on this and made sure that uh, the kids we had over she approved them and if she kind of questioned them or struggled she'd hang around a little bit we found out later that she'd listen at the door and you might think of that and go wow that's terrible parenting no i think it was really good parenting um she wanted to make sure that we weren't being influenced negatively in some way. So yeah, she'd allow sleepovers. She was she was a fun mom. We had everybody over. As a matter of fact, she was great. She'd stock stock our house with Kool Aid and everything else. I mean, a lot of fun stuff and snacks and and you know made made the best sandwiches. And so everybody in the neighborhood basically wanted to come over to our house, and it was fantastic. But she was also very selective with that. We weren't allowed to go over to their house very often. She had to make sure she knew the parents and and was very well acquainted with everything that was happening over there, had eyes on the situation, and she took care of us. Um, she was very aware of what we were doing, and she was very aware of the influences we were hanging around, even at church. You go, well, they're all a bunch of church kids. That's not always the case. Sometimes there are, yeah, they're they're going to church, but there are plenty of bad situations surrounding church uh, that 
unfortunately happen a lot. Kids being shown porn or, or kids being uh, pushed into doing certain things from peer pressure that's not good. You go, wow, that's a kid at church. Your parents should be well acquainted with who you're hanging out with and should vet each and every one of them. My, our parents did, and I'm very grateful for, for them doing that. I think we oftentimes quote, and when I say we, I, I, the church collectively can sometimes quote 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty three: evil company corrupts good morals, and we just kind of haphazardly and without really nonchalantly, I guess is a better word, nonchalantly quote it without really meaning it, without really, you know, actually living it out. And by that, I mean, parents will hear sermons about that. They'll quote that verse and then they'll allow their kids to basically be around anybody. I mean, you know, they, from my experience, I've seen it where, okay, do they maybe attend a denomination? Are they, do they not break the law? Okay, cool. You can go hang out with them. You know what I mean? There is, like you said, Joe, there's not really a vetting process. There's not really a, man, what is this kid like? You know, what is, what is his family like? What is his parents like? And that is one of the things that I very much appreciate about my parents. Uh, again, not in a braggadocious way, but they took that verse seriously. They knew that one of the quickest ways for one of us to go down the wrong path and to lose our faith in God was to be around people who would be more of an obstacle and a hindrance to us getting to heaven than somebody who's going to help. Um, but I want to bring up the other side real quick before I hand it over to Jack. My parents, another thing that I really appreciate that they did is they were selective with our friend choices in a positive way too. And by that, what I mean is they actively looked for people, for for friends for us that they knew came from really solid families, really good Christian parents who they knew would be good influences for us, who knew that they would be, you know, that we they'd be good friends with us and good people for us to hang out with. No, they didn't dictate our friends. But it was one of those things. They looked for those people, and they, and they gave us opportunities. You two are a perfect example. Y'all are both older than me. But my parents actively looked for people like you guys to to place me around so that, hey, I could be influenced by by people like y'all. I could, you know, rather than going around, Joe used the word numbskulls earlier, rather than being friends with a bunch of numbskulls, be friends with people who can actually influence you for the better, who can actually get you closer to heaven rather than being a hindrance. So it can be done in a positive way as well. Right, we're going to get to sheltering here in just a minute as as we get towards the end of this, so I don't want to go too far into that because somebody would say, well, you know, the helicopter parenting, you're sheltering too much, there's there's a balance on that for sure, but that is one of the things is who you're hanging around. You brought up 1 Corinthians 15.33, you think of Psalm 1 as well, of, you know, standing in the path of sinners, sitting in the seat of scoffers, of, you can get into big trouble. Proverbs as well, you know, I mean, he's telling his son, hey, there's good people to hang out with and there's bad people to hang out with. And this is greatly going to affect your life, which one you choose. And, uh, you know, I've seen people, friends uh, friends of mine that uh, got in with friends that just, it, it's it's hard to talk about, frankly. Uh, in fact, I, <laughs> I'm i not going to go down that road um, because just people whose literally lives were destroyed by the wrong friend group, um, by, uh, you know, innocent middle school, high school age friends that they start off and it doesn't seem like that big of a deal weren't vetted enough and yeah i mean like it's horrible things can happen and and that's an extreme case the one that's coming to mind but i've got other ones that are also very bad and and pulled away from the faith and pulled away from uh, family from god from all, all kinds of things because of the values that they were introduced to um, new experiences, I guess you could say. They were introduced to by this uh, the, this group of people they're around, and so that is something to be very intentional about: is who has your kids' ear? Um, you know, there's there's all kinds of things, all kinds of influences you need to guard against, and 
Sometimes you understand their teachers, and if they're going to go to college, their professors might be that negative influence. Uh, you know, the opposite sex might be a negative influence, and so you're careful around that. Uh, just all kinds of, you know, what they're finding on the internet, what they're watching on TV, you're aware of those, but sometimes it's that innocent-looking kid who's their age who doesn't look like that much of a threat, who might be the biggest problem in their life, might be the biggest influence to lead them away from the faith. On the other hand, to Will's point, they could be the best influence. Uh, I think of a couple of guys, um, we've, we had Dr. Danny Petrillo on the podcast, um, it runs the Bear Valley, he's the president of the Bear Valley uh, Bible Institute preaching school, and as young men, he was close friends with Dr. Dan Owen, who also teaches at Bear Valley, and man, two of the best Bible scholars I know who go back to their teenage years, if, if I remember correctly, of really just pushing each other and, and iron sharpening iron, that kind of thing is so cool to see. And so look for those kinds of opportunities. As Will said, put your kids around those kinds of people and, and watch out for those negative influences as well. Last thing I would add before we move on to the next one is, as Will, you talked about, you don't just force your kids around other kids teach them it goes back to our point number two of getting the heart teach them to discern for themselves who the right friend is as well if you have to dictate every time they're always gravitating toward the wrong kid and you're always having to go say hey this isn't a good influence the kid will rebel and they'll figure out figure it out teach them why like the proverbs look this kid is this kid is not a good influence and here's why um, get them to buy into the process as well and to see who's good for them and who's not jack or actually um Will, go ahead and get what, us into the next Was one. there ever any doubt that Joe was going to be the first one that took us like a minute over? You know, we've been doing so well. Whoa, 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 whoa. That was Joe. like 15 Surprise. seconds. Jack was the one. Hey, Jack ran way <laughs> over. And then I came in on 15 seconds because he had already taken liberties. And I thought, hey, why not? Longest why 15 not? seconds. No, I'm just kidding. That was a good point. Um, Let's move on to number eight, which ties in basically directly to this one. And that is that we're talking about factors of keeping kids faithful. For this one, my parents were very involved with the search for my spouse. Uh, we had our episode a few weeks ago on courtship and dating, so maybe we'll spend a little bit less time on this one. Um, but I, as I was sitting down once again kind of thinking, okay, what are the factors that got me to where I am today, uh, faithful to God? One of them was my parents didn't just say, all right, good luck, go find your spouse, You know, let me know who it is type of thing. They were very involved. And as we talked about in that previous courtship episode, they weren't advocates for prearranged marriages. They didn't dictate who I married. They weren't handpicking them. However, they were very involved. They wanted to know my thoughts. They wanted to know, hey, what are you looking for? Uh, hey, how about this person? You know, dis active discussions is all I'm saying. And I think sometimes a lot of Christians, all the stuff that we've talked about, if you do all those things and then you let them take the second most important decision of their life and say, all right, good luck with no guidance and no, again, just discussion and no... Um, involvement there, I feel like that's a problem. Again, if they did all those things with me that we've already talked about, and then I ended up marrying somebody crazy who veered me off the path of faith because my parents weren't involved, that would be a problem. And, and we've seen that happen before. I think a lot of us uh, have seen people where that was the case. Faithful Christian married somebody who was not right for them, who was either not a faithful Christian or not a good person, and before you know it, their faith is gone. And so without getting too much into the courtship dating episode that we already had, that was one of the factors, though, that we felt like we couldn't, we'd be remiss if we didn't bring it up. The fact that our parents, and mine specifically, 
they were very involved with my search for my spouse. And again, not to dictate, not to pick my spouse, but they were involved. They wanted to know, they wanted to be involved with it. Guys, what do you have to add to that? This is one of those debates around the term, uh, the unequally yoked thing, the, the terminology Paul uses in 1 Corinthians. And, well, is it a sin to marry somebody who's not a Christian? And, uh, you know, I, I say this all the time, I hate that question so much. Because what would holiness have us do? What would God have us do? What What is the best way to pursue Christ? And a lot of times when we're asking, what is it a sin? We're asking, what can I get away with? And with this one, I just don't understand asking the question. I cannot understand it. Because you look back to the Old Testament and, you know, God's saying, do not intermarry with the people around you because they will lead you away. And, and you know what? If they don't lead you away, they're going to lead your kids away. Like, you're going to have to try and raise kids with them. And think about it. However many young souls you bring into this world, you're going to have to be fighting against your own spouse in trying to bring your kid through. Like, if you're not aligned on this, and that's what Paul's getting at with unequally yoked, if you're not on the same team, if you're not pulling in the same direction, this is going to be a problem. And, and that pulling in the same direction most obviously comes when one's a Christian and the other's not. But if one's a strong Christian and the other one's not very interested, one's very worldly-minded, one's very just not grounded in the faith and, and isn't too interested in being more grounded in the faith, those things are going to come up. And as I said, you just get into the, well, is it a sin? No, don't ask that question. Ask, why on earth would you want to risk the soul of the person you love most, your spouse, and the souls of any children you have with them, and compromise your own ability to serve the church. As a man, you can't be an elder if, if your wife and your kids, you know, aren't faithfully coming to church with you. You can't serve the church in that way. I mean, there's there's so many things that are you're costing yourself when you don't consider that. And, you know, Will, you brought this up. This was something that was big to your parents. It was something big to our parents, starting very early of, you know what, you're 12 years old. All of your classmates might have girlfriends. You're not going to have one because... There's no point in that at this point, as we talked about on the courtship and dating one. You're going to start thinking about who do you need to be and growing into being that person so when the time comes, you can find that person as well. So I'm hearing you guys are just big fans of arranged marriage. Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> that you're just going to pick a spouse for your kids and, and hey, they're a Christian here. No. Yeah, reading between and, the lines Some people there, think huh? that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Some people think that. They look at it and they go, well, how am I supposed to just pick for my kid? Don't they have choice? If they choose somebody, who am I to come in and say no? It's like, well, have you ever read 1 Corinthians 7? Yeah, the father can come in and go, uh, no. That's that's biblical to put the kibosh on these things. And people, to say, people will say it's Old Testament, but Isaac, or Abraham and Isaac, right? He didn't want Isaac taking a wife from the Canaanites. He knew specifically right. the type of family he wanted his son to take a wife from. Because these things, to, to your point, Jack, to both your points, these things matter, and are you talking about, oh, how do we keep kids faithful? Yeah, maybe getting them around the right influences from our last point, but getting them to pursue the right spouse who may even pull them forward. We all have our weak moments. We all have our low points. We look at David as, and you know, the psalmist, like he had his low moments. But when you have a spouse who can lead you closer to God and, and somebody that is going to help you and to submit a wife who might submit to your, you know, to you as a husband or for the husband to, to marry a husband who's going to lead you appropriately, those things, uh, there's no value, no amount of value you can place on those. So yeah, this is absolutely one that's going to make our list for make sure that the parents are pursuing that. You as the parents are telling your kids, once again, not telling them who they're going to be with, but showing them why it's so important for them not to be unequally yoked and showing them the type of people they should be looking for and why they should. And modeling that yourselves as well. Modeling, you know, showing them 
that that love, that prioritization of each other and of the church and all that. Um, so that takes us to number nine. We're almost at the end of our list here. One thing I think both of our families did so well is connected us to the church. Um, we had people from church over at our dinner table, I mean, probably hundreds of times, I think Joe would agree. I mean, just countless people have sat at Deanne Wilkie, Brian at Deanne Wilkie's dinner table, um, talking Bible into the late hours of the night. I mean, that was how we met the Harabs, Will's family, is uh, hospitality, having them over, and I mean, just chatting, talking Bible, talking the world and, and everything. And as a kid watching that, it showed, hey, the church matters. The church really is our family. We're not just saying that, um, that, that there is a, a love here. There's a service of others here. All of those values that come out in hospitality and time around the church, being involved in the work of the church, the every time the doors are open kind of thing, serving people and not just being served, being a, a part of the church, being connected to the church, it was huge. You know, we grew up going to Bear Valley uh, Church of Christ that has the preaching school attached to it. Our parents had the preaching students over at least once a month. They, they would invite all of them. And so we spent our entire formative years growing up around preachers. It's no wonder we do what we do now because of that kind of influence of, hey, these people are serving the church. We're going to serve them. We're going to help them out. We're going to feed them. We're going to encourage them, build them up. It, it just shows you where the priorities lie. Right. This is another one of those things, Jack, you kind of referenced it that I think we can just pay lip service to. Well, the church, church is a family, right? We're all, we're all family and we've hit on this point before, but I think if our kids hear us say that and then watch us not live that out, you know, view it as we see them a couple times a week, you know, say hello in the hallway and then move on. They can, kids can see right through that type of stuff. And so, uh, yeah, you, you said it really well. My parents, one of the things that I hope to emulate, they literally designed the building of their house for the purpose of hospitality. They wanted an, a big kitchen, a big dining room, an open, open, welcoming atmosphere so that they could have people over, so that they could have the church over and our friends over and young people that they want us to be around. You know, all these things linked together. If you communicate via your actions to your kids that the church is, you know, just one sphere of your life, you know, you got your work sphere, you got your sports sphere, your school sphere, and your church sphere is over here, man, that's going to have such a negative impact because, again, you're not plugging them in to serve other people. You're not plugging them into being around older Christians, which we haven't really brought up yet, being around wiser elders in the church, people who can really help them along in their faith, not just people their age. Man, take those opportunities and use them. That that was a huge factor for, for me and for my siblings as well. I think this really does boil down to hospitality among Christians. Three words. That's really point number nine. When's the last time you had another Christian in your home, another Christian family in your home. And, well, do we have to have a Devo every time? Do we have to do singing? No, not every time. A lot of times when we had the students over, we were out playing basketball. But you know what would inevitably come up? Some biblical question that would keep everybody up until midnight talking. That happened so many times. I mean, we blew past our bedtime, I don't know how many times, because somebody would bring up something, you go, well, that's interesting. We're talking head coverings and, and, you know, all of these difficult Bible discussions. Somebody said it's spinning, and you go, Okay, now I got to get apart. And we as kids, I didn't have any thoughts of my own. So I get to sit at the feet of these great men and women who have, are currently studying the Bible like every day, all day, every day. And to get to listen to their thoughts as they're really working through it. And some writing papers, you know, 10 page papers on these things. And we're getting to listen to them sit at their feet and to hear my parents chime in. And just all of these things about it was like the coolest feeling ever. And 
that's what we're looking for is maybe sometimes you have people over and you just go in back and, and shoot some hoops. Maybe you play some some board games or whatever it may be. Maybe you just enjoy the barbecue that your dad made. That's great. But sometimes maybe just throw out a biblical question, see what happens, get the wheels turning a little bit. That's part of the hospitality is just having this openness of being around as many Christians as possible, trying to get into other people's homes, not necessarily inviting yourself, but be open. If somebody invites you over, go over there. That's important for your kids to see that you're not always the ones that are having people over. Sometimes you go to people's house and you let somebody else serve you and and you be connected to other members in the church as well. So hospitality, I think, is it's underrated as a spiritual, kind of as a spiritual gift, to be honest. Um, it's underrated on the spiritual spectrum, but I think it is unbelievably important in keeping and, a kid faithful. And we've said this before, don't worry about your house being clean. Don't worry about having the perfect spread right. and, and putting on this show. Kids can see through that as well. Like, well, let's put our best face out for everybody. You know, tidy up. Don't I would say don't don't make it look like you never <laughs> clean the house. But you know what I mean? Some people can really go overboard with I got to make sure my house looks perfect. I got to make sure it doesn't even look like we live here. Man, don't don't worry about that kind of thing. Jack, do you have anything else to add? Yeah, somebody said that's the difference between entertainment and hospitality. You're not putting on a show. You're having family over. And, and again, that message trickles down as, as we go through it. Um, that leaves us with one left on the list here. So we have gotten all the way through. We're down to number 10. Uh, and this one kind of came up in a few of the points, but I think it's uh, very interesting to look out on its own right. So go ahead, Joe. Yeah, this is... We should be, parents should be sheltering their kids to a certain degree. I'm going to go off my soapbox, hot takes with Joe moment, whatever you want to call it. I'm honestly, fellas, I'm losing faith in sending kids to college at all. Any college, anywhere. Um, online, sure, sure, I guess. Uh, but the idea of sending our kids off to college is becoming more and more abhorrent to me. That's not because I didn't do college. I did plenty of college. I did it from home, and that's one of the best decisions mom and dad ever did for me. I, I'm telling you, I cannot tell, I cannot preach this or, or speak this loud enough. And I tell everybody I know, don't send your kids off to college at 18. Do not do it. It is one of the worst things that you can possibly do. Because when is a kid starting to become informed about his understanding of the world? Starting and to truly, ask the truly the most why. vulnerable exactly we're vulnerable we're wondering why are we here what what is what is life all about did we evolve did god create us and you go wow i thought i taught him better than that you know what that's natural progression of trying to figure out life from their perspective when do we see this from a neurological point of view really kind of 17 but 18 through 25 is peak for that for the brain stops developing right around 25 um and we know the plasticity they're doing more studies on that but Really, 18 to 25 is key. So you're going to take the first four years of that, and a lot of times they squeak a fifth one out for money purposes. You're going to take the first five years of that, and you're going to hand it over to them being around, I'm sorry, what the Bible would call worthless individuals, worthless people. You're going to have people that are going to actively try to discourage them in their faith. They're going to actively pursue things that they shouldn't be pursuing. They're going to they're going to challenge them on issues of faith that they didn't see coming. And you go, well, yeah, that's all secular. That's why I sent my kid to Christian schools. No, I'm speaking of the Christian schools. I'm talking about OC. I'm talking about Harding. I'm talking about Freed. I'm talking about all the big boys. I've known multiple people who have fallen away. I've known LGBTQ people at all three of those schools. You think you're sending your kids to these great schools and that it's going to help them in their faith. They're falling away. It's killing them. And if they do come out... A lot of times they don't come out as as extra warriors. They come out as 
the same as everybody else. I guess I'll just take my family to church for the rest of time and never really plug in. We have to stop thinking that college is the end-all be-all. From Even from an economic perspective, the trades are where the money's at. If you want your kid to make a lot of money right now, help him learn something like how to operate a backhoe. You make plenty of money. So this is just my hot takes, and I'm taking two, two minutes to say probably more than that, but to say, please be aware and shelter your kids from influences like this. Do your due diligence and don't just do it because everybody else does it. Well, that's what I was going to say to put it in perspective, Joe, you're talking about sheltering them in the sense of not sending them off to college. Um, and this, this brings us to, and I don't, it's probably fitting that we had this one last cause we could go a bit on this, which we won't, but the question and the balance of how much do you shelter your kids? That is that is a struggle that I know I'm going to have. And again, I've got a I got a one year old, and I don't know if if I know not of all of our listeners are Facebook friends with me, so we'll just use this as the formal announcement. Rachel and I are expecting an, another um, child, so that is uh, wanted to let the deep thinkers know again. If you're not friends with me on Facebook, you might not know that, but. Um, so as I consider, hey, I'm going to have two kids soon, you know, ho- hopefully more God willing, what am I going to do as far as sheltering them goes? And, and you have, like, Joe, a lot of people would call you a helicopter parent. They would say you are helicopter parenting your kids and that you're going too far in that. And so that's the that's really the question I want to bring up. And not just about college. You know, I, I want you all to speak to that one too. But as far as your kids' entertainment choices, your kids going out and, and working a job outside of your supervision, you know, when they're in their uh, early or late high school years, what what do you think is the balance that Christian parents need to strike here? And again, we will for, we will come out and say this is opinion here. Um, but what is the balance? Because you can helicopter parent. People certainly can. And I don't think that's a good thing because you shelter them, you shelter them, you shelter them. They get a taste of the real world and they get a little taste of freedom, specifically at college. And what do they do? They go crazy with it. That is not a good thing. On the other hand, you've got the parents that say, well, let's just expose them to everything or the classic, well, they've got to learn how to make mistakes. So let's just let them learn from their mistakes. That's not great either. Um, that's kind of the pendulum swing there. So guys, this one might be a tough one to end on here, but what is what does that look like, practically speaking, as far as sheltering your kids partially but not completely? It's a managed introduction to the real world, right? Uh, you know, I, there's the people that like, all right, you turn 16, here's your keys, see you at 11 o'clock every night. Like, there's no, you're not helping them in that you're not because you're not supervising their experience with the real world. They can just go out and experience whatever they want, and that's really bad. On the other hand, again, where they're locked in the house, they can't go anywhere. Like you've got to be supervising 24/7. There's no experience, and so it's the two sides of that: the management of the experience, but also the experience of this experience. And so, I, you know, to Joe's point of of sending somebody off to college, away from their family, away from their support system, their home church. All of those things we've talked about throughout this whole thing to go find themselves and, uh, you know, that's so much what it's sold as is, oh, it's this experience. you got to find yourself. No, it's training for a career is what it was supposed to be. And then it turned into this extended adolescence thing and finding yourself and, you know, like grounding yourself away from your family and your new group of friends and all this individualism that we've brought into things that is obviously the, we're bearing the fruits of that. Not great. Um and so that is one of those managed experience things. There's no management over that. I've got one other thing to say on the college point before, Joe, you can take it back again, because I know a lot of people are going to be upset with this point and, and you know, get frustrated at us kind of looping the Christian schools in with this. I can't help but think if I'm Satan and I really want to take a 
rock solid Christian young person, good foundation, good parents, good family. If I was Satan trying to figure out, well, how am I going to rip his or her faith away? Uh, get them to maybe not even that, maybe get them to be a lukewarm kind of off and on Christian. What would I want to do? And the answer is pull them away from their parents, pull them away from their support system, pull them away from everything that's gotten them to the point that they're at for four years, for five years. And again, as Joe said, in their most vulnerable state, again, if I'm Satan and I'm having a strategy meeting, that's going to be at the top of my bulletin board. That's going to be at the top of my agenda, man, get them away from all those things. So food for thought, I would say, as far as, as far as the college here, here. here's my, uh, here's what I'll say. And then I'm going to come back around and we'll wrap it up, come back around to the whole sheltering point. I started on this because as we were going through on the 10, what do we think is most important? Yeah, the sheltering is important. This is a broader, we made it a broader point. Specifically, when I wrote it down as one of the 10, it is get your kids out. Like, don't send your kids off to college. That's what I'm passionate about. That's why I think this point stands. The sheltering stuff is good. I'll come back around, like I said. But the reason why, Will, is you talked about what's the other thing you do as Satan? Well, I would send them to what I would assume to be a Christian school and pick them apart from there. How easy would it be for your kid to go to a secular school and hear biology or hear you know biology from a from a very secular point of view evolutionary things like that and to go yeah i know that's kind of ridiculous we're scared of the state schools you know what a kid is not prepared for to go to harding and to hear that maybe genesis isn't actually real to hear that maybe those are just some stories or i can't what is what if it's the day age theory or, or the you know the gap theory like what if those are the things is he prepared for that this guy's supposed to be a great biblical teacher. I went to Harding for this, and now I'm getting my faith picked apart. That's even worse. I would rather send my kid to a secular school where he knows he's going to get bombarded than send it to a, a Christian school where it's going to get sneak up. Now, I realize we're going to get a lot of people that are ticked at this. I'm not trying to upset people. I'm trying to get you to think, don't just cast your kid off to the wolves because that's what everybody else does. I did it. I, I have a master's degree. I did it all online. Um, it works well. Trust me. We saved a fortune in the process. My parents did, and it all was good. But from a sheltering perspective, yeah, I think, Jack, you're right. It's it's managing their exposure appropriately. It, should they work jobs in late high school? If you can, I, I hope you've trained a kid up to that point. That's what they're going to say about college. Well, if you've trained them right, then they're good to go. For four years away from you, no. It's different than six hours at a, at a Chick-fil-A. Um, you know, and they come home and they're still living in your home, going to the same church. Those, please don't think those are apples to apples there. Letting them slowly expose them to, hey, we're going to go to a, you know, hopefully a, a better place. We don't want them working a bar at that age. Let them come into the world on their own while having these conversations. The kids spoke about this. Kids spoke about that. Be their confidant. Let them say those things. So um, sh sheltering needs to happen. But we want to make sure that it's on our time frame where we are allowing them to be exposed to these things with a lot of discussion all along the way is what I would say, and that's what helped the most. We we said it to start. As we, as we wrap up here, Jack, I'll let you close us out. Um, we don't have all the answers. Sometimes it can come across like we do. We believe passionately about this stuff. And so I will say, again, we've got toddlers. It's not like we've raised faithful kids already. But when we sat down together, us three, and discussed these things and said, okay, what got us to the point – these are the 10 things that we came up with. We probably could have come up with, what, 15 or 20, um, but we didn't want to have a three-hour episode here. And so I would encourage you once again, actually, if there's some on here that you just want to brush aside, okay, you know, I guess that's your prerogative. But I would consider 
or I would encourage you to consider each one of these, even if there's one like, for instance, maybe Joe's college thing that you just flatly don't agree with off the top. Think about it. Think deeper. That's the name of this podcast. Think deeper about it and determine again, how many episodes in a row we brought up the amount of young people leaving the church. What are the reasons for that? You know, what are the reasons, not just that they're leaving, what are some of the alternatives to the way that we can keep them faithful? And so, um, before I hand it to Jack again, the question that we want you guys to answer as far as faithful Christians that listen to us, what do you think is the biggest factor that led you to be a faithful Christian? Is there one that we, I'm sure there's one that we left off. I won't even ask that question. Um, but yeah, so answer that comment, Facebook, YouTube, Jack, what else you got for the deep thinkers as we I wrap? I just want to say there's always people who cannot have the ideal situation we've talked about, whether uh, you know, through no fault of their own, their their spouse, you know, left them and they're they're raising the kids on their own, or are they, you know, there's loss in the family, or I mean, there's just there's always circumstances that lead to where you can't have the mother, father, children at home, you know, some the homeschooling. There's there's things where just people are in circumstances where they can't do those things. We don't want it to be like, well, you can't hit all ten of these steps, so your kids are just you know thrown to the wolves. It's not that at all. What we want to do in so many of these things is cast an ideal. That if you can't have that, you could see why somebody would want that. And maybe you want that for your kids. You want that for the next generation to work in that direction, number one. But number two, if you can't have that ideal, pick out the principles that you can apply to the best of your ability. And man, God does much with, with the efforts we give. Everything that we do, all of our efforts are are so little in the grand scheme of things, but they matter. And and he sees those things. And so I don't want somebody to, to hear this and just be discouraged. Be like, I, I, I literally can't. There's no world in which I can do those things. I understand there are those circumstances. To those of us who can, we should be striving for those. For those who can't, do what you can do. Again, God makes much of, of whatever we bring him. And uh, he He expects us to make, us make of what he has given us as well. And so keep that in mind. Uh, I certainly don't want to discourage anyone that, that is not in a position to do all of these things. But if you are... I really hope we've given you some things to strive for, some things that I don't think we said it, but uh, thank you to our parents. Thank you to them for the work that they did, for making this such a big deal. Absolutely. Thank you to all of the Christian parents. We've got friends, family, people that we know who have done this, are doing this. Keep doing that. That is the biggest thing in all the world. As Brad is uh, often quoted as saying in his sermons, man, Noah didn't convert anybody, but he got his family on the boat. That is such a big deal. Everyone who's striving to do that, keep going in that direction. Keep your eyes on Christ. Keep your family pointed on Christ. And we're going to close with that. We'll talk to you guys next week. 